0: now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. 12.03 on
3: a Thursday afternoon, December 8th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. The Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Gas prices are finally below levels of a year ago. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the weekly tally of jobless claims leads today's data. We're joined by Bob Brusca, Chief Economist, Fact and Opinion Economics based in New York. Bob, thanks for joining us today. Weekly jobless claims increase by 4000 to 230000 continuing claims rise 62000 so it's uh, there's some indications that the job market which has been fairly resilient in the face of all these uh, interest rate hikes might be starting to slow down well yeah I, I suppose yes i mean i can hear that people are interpreting it this way but um you know the
1: number went up to 230 uh, last week it was 226 the week before it was 241 week before that was 223. I mean, these are all basically, you know, statistically speaking, these are the same number. There's nothing significantly different uh, among these numbers. There's hardly an uptrend in the series at all. So I, I'll reserve my judgment on that. The interesting thing in this report to me was the, uh, the increase in the insured unemployment rate that went up to 1.2%. And uh, that's the highest level for the insured unemployment rate, which does kind of track the overall uh, unemployment rate, but, but at a much lower level. It's the highest uh, in 38 weeks. Now, that's somewhat significant to me, although it's it's small potatoes. It's a tenth of a percentage point increase on the week and a two-tenth in, in increase over the last, say,
3: four weeks. So with the markets up today, it sounds like uh, traders, are they uh, trading on the news or the noise? <sighs>
1: Yes, they always are. <laughs> they're uh, they're trading on the news and hoping it isn't noise or trading on the noise and hoping it isn't news. You um, oh, know, there's not much here. We have the claims data today. Uh, we have you know, in, in, economic numbers that have been relatively strong. We have inflation numbers that are still high, although there have been some smattering of good news. Still, inflation is still quite high compared to where the Fed wants it. And, um, you know, the GDP numbers are still going to be pretty strong in the fourth quarter. And so I'm, I'm somewhat mystified why the Federal Reserve wants to start uh, reducing its pace of rate increases. You know, everybody looked at the clustering of 75 basis point rate hikes. But let's remember, the Federal Reserve sat on its hands for an unprecedented year while the inflation rate on the CPI rose from about 2% to over 9%. And this is why the Fed had to raise rates. The, the inflation rate is still higher than the federal funds rate. So I don't get any arguments why it's time for the Fed to slow down. This doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. But, hey, I'm only an economist.
3: Well, it sounds like investors are trying to find any sort, any data point, any number that will suggest to them that the Fed might actually back off on their interest rate hiking plans. And obviously, we're just merely marking time before the PPI report comes out tomorrow. Yeah, well, that, that's true. And the PPI, though, not not really one of the most
1: important reports. We really we look at the the CPI. the, the PCE is what the Fed targets. And uh, excuse me, the uh, uh, the PPI is more volatile. So it, it's less of a bellwether. But sure, everybody wants to look at that report and because it's volatile. I hope it will bring on some good news.
3: Bob Brus- Bob Brusca, chief economist with Fact and Opinion Economics, based in New York. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up, an update on the energy markets and the cost of gas. Oil down just nine cents a barrel, now trading at seventy one dollars ninety
0: two cents a barrel. It's twelve ten because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
3: And as the price of oil continues to fall, the national average price of a gallon of gas continues to fall too. It could fall below three dollars by the end of the month let's get the latest on gas prices and energy from Tom Cloza longtime energy analyst with the oil price information service based in Wall New Jersey Tom thanks for joining us today you know 2022 has been the year of uh, many disruptions in international energy markets and gas prices hit numbers we have not seen since 2008 or even before that and as a result Tom you became a, a very popular guy because uh, you were helping us Uh, understand why the price of gas was setting records here and there. But now we could be looking at uh, low gas prices, the lowest of the year, maybe lower than last year. What's going on?
4: Well, I I think there's a couple of things going on. One is China has not reopened, so they're not using the crude oil that a lot of people thought. Uh, Vladimir Putin has been pretty quiet, which is to say that he's still exporting uh, Russian crude oil. And really, demand, particularly in the United States for gasoline, is down. It's down about 7% from last year. And we're approaching probably the 60 days where people use the least. So I would say uh, we're going to see gasoline prices decline through the end of this month, and January is a tough month for them to recover. So we might move from, you know, one of the most inflationary periods for gasoline prices ever to one of the most deflationary. And hopefully that makes us all rich from stock prices going up.
3: And in 20, 2022, you know, the, the story at the beginning of the year was the supply of oil, that uh, the economy opened up in the U.S., demand spiked, and that the oil industry and the oil exploration apparatus just wasn't ready to meet that demand. And then as the year went on, it flipped over to a refinery capacity issue. And now, as you said, the refineries did a great job of not only meeting that demand, but exceeding it.
4: Yeah, they're going to actually have to cut runs probably. And they'll do that in January or perform a lot of maintenance that, uh, was pushed back from the fall when they were making, you know, 50 or $70 a barrel in making diesel and jet fuel, they weren't making as much money on gasoline. You know, gasoline is kind of a loss leader for refiners right now. They're still having a good year. Don't get me wrong. We don't need to host telethons for them, but, uh, You know, they're not doing nearly as well as they did uh, in the spring and the summer, and it's tough. They have to get rid of gasoline, and January is a month where people just don't drive, and that's true, you know, whether you live in the south, the north, the west, or
3: the east. And then the work week is changing, and I think it's safe to say that uh, as people return to the office, they have a three-day work week now, and uh, with remote work on Mondays and Fridays, and that means less driving, and that means lower demand for gasoline.
4: Yeah, it does. Plus, the, the, the fleet is more efficient. I mean, the average car on the road is probably about 11 or 12 years old, but the new ones that are coming in and auto sales have been a little bit uh, better than uh, they were in the last year or so, Uh, those cars get really good mileage. So we're never going to go back to using almost 400 million gallons of gasoline a day like we did from 2016 through 2019. You know, the population is is expanding, but... You know, the old habits are, are giving way to some new habits where <laughs> you don't drive when you're working from home, that's for sure.
3: It kind of reminds me of the uh, early 1980s when all of a sudden the price of gas went way up. You had these supply shocks from Saudi Arabia and from the OPEC nations in America responded by buying Toyotas and buying Datsuns and buying all sorts of new fuel-efficient cars. And Detroit responded with uh, bigger cars that had greater fuel efficiency. And then by the end of the decade, we had an oil glut. So if you watch Die Hard, that classic Christmas movie, you will see several scenes at a gas station where they're paying 89 cents a gallon. Oh, yeah. And I don't think we're going back to that. But, you know, you could probably make the case that 2.99 dollars a gallon
4: or some of the 2.60 prices you see now, You know, when you uh, equate it to how much people make per hour or whatever, they don't have to work as hard to pay for a gallon of gasoline now as uh, certainly they did six months ago and and really in some of the years with the Arab Spring back uh, earlier in the century.
3: Tom Close, an energy analyst with the Oil Price Information Service in Wall, New Jersey. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, drivers of electric vehicles in Illinois getting
0: more charging options. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
3: Illinois is getting more electric vehicle charging stations. Let's learn more from Jared Jensen, who is the manager of the GM Dealer Community Charging Program based in Washington. Jared, thanks for joining us today. It's not just Illinois, it's uh, Wisconsin and Michigan, other Great Lakes states, uh, getting more electrical vehicle charging stations.
5: Absolutely, Rob. It's been such a wonderful opportunity to, to see the north-central region get, excited about this program and we're, we're getting those charging stations inst- installed so I couldn't be more excited about it.
3: Is this based on uh, some market research that was done by General Motors or maybe some other uh, entity that found that maybe the biggest psychological hurdle uh, to someone purchasing an EV is wondering uh, where they could charge it if the battery starts to run low? Absolutely.
5: So, you know, the infrastructure, the lack of infrastructure is the biggest
3: objection to adopting
5: EVs. And so GM is taking this head on with not only the dealer community charging program, which is there to place up to 40,000 level two chargers in the U.S. and Canada, and particularly in that north central region and in Illinois, but also uh, the highway corridors and the top metro areas as well with our Pilot Flying J and also our, our EVGO um, agreements. So we're again, we're t- attacking it from multiple uh, levels. It's been fantastic.
3: You mentioned Pilot Flying J, uh, a, a partnership that you've reached with the uh, Travel Plaza operator. Is that just one place you will find these charging stations or have you reached agreements with uh, uh, other, let's say, gas stations, for lack of a better word?
5: Yeah, so we're starting with Pilot Flying J, and so we're going to be placing up to 2,000 DC fast chargers at up to 500 Pilot Flying J locations across the country. And so, you know, again, we're, we're continually working on, on uh, further agreements as we go forward.
3: And then normally, it is, I mean, if, if you look at, uh, in, in, especially in cities, the placement of charging stations, uh, there are EV charging stations in the, the, the parking garage in Prudential Plaza in Chicago, uh, where I'm located right now. You see them in the parking lots of uh, certain chain stores, maybe grocery stores have them as a premium parking, a benefit for having an EV. But when you do the map of charging stations region-wide, where do you find the gaps?
5: Yeah, I mean, we find the gaps mainly in rural and underserved urban areas, and that's exactly what the Dealer Community Charging Program is going to attack and, and make sure that we get infrastructure in those places. And so I'm excited to say that we have our, our dealerships, we have 27% of our dealerships enrolled in the state of Illinois so far, and that's just with Chevrolet. And we're also looking to get some charging stations installed at the University of Illinois here in the coming months, and so that's the first of many. And so, you know, we're, we're looking for those areas where people naturally dwell for a couple hours at a time. And so they go, they're able to get that charge, they go and enjoy whatever activity they're going to enjoy, and then they come back, and as a result, they're able to get that that top-off charge that they need. So um, re- really looking in those rural and underserved urban areas.
3: Jared Jensen, manager of the GM Dealer Community Charging Program based in Washington, talking about the 1,000 new GM uh sponsored electrical vehicle charging stations coming to the state of Illinois with uh, many more coming to Wisconsin and Michigan. Thanks for joining us this afternoon.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob
3: Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Basketball star Brittany Griner is on her way back to the United States. A judge rules on the release request of a Chicago woman facing charges tied to the overseas murder of her mother. In Technology Thursday, virtual reality improving rapidly and new headsets are are making gaming even more real. 401k hardship withdrawals are at record highs. We'll discuss the dangers of making such a move. WBBM Business: The markets are higher. The Dow is up 233 points. The Nasdaq is up 143. The S&P 500 up 35. We have 43 degrees right now in Chicago. Temperatures heading into the mid 40s this afternoon. Cloudy and chilly. It's 12:31. Topping our news at the half hour. President Biden says WNBA star Brittany Griner is safe following a prisoner swap that took place today in the United Arab Emirates. CBS News, White House. House correspondent Stephen Portnoy with the latest. She's
0: safe. She's on a plane. President Biden celebrated the news alongside Brittany Griner's wife, Sherelle, who told reporters her family is now whole. I'm going to smile right now. <laughs> the deal to return Griner was a one-for-one swap for the convicted arms dealer known in law enforcement circles as the Merchant of Death. Victor Boot was convicted of conspiring to sell AK-47s that would have been used to kill American drug agents. Still left behind in Russia, retired Marine Paul Whelan, convicted of espionage charges that the U.S. calls false. Mr. Biden said the U.S. informed the Whelan family in advance of the announcement of Griner's release.
4: And my thoughts and prayers are with them today. They have to have such mixed emotions today.
0: In a statement,
3: the Whelan family called the news a catastrophe for Paul. Stephen Portnoy, CBS News, Washington. A federal judge has rejected Heather Mack's request to be released from jail while she awaits trial for conspiring to have her mother murdered overseas in 2014. Mack returned to the U.S. in November of last year after serving seven years in an Indonesian prison for helping kill her 62-year-old mother, Sheila von Wees Mack, on the island of Bali. She was arrested at O'Hare and has been in custody ever since. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Continues Presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are higher. We're joined by Tim Grisky, Senior Portfolio Strategist, Ingalls & Snyder, based in New York. Tim, thanks for joining us today. What's driving this, uh, this, this, this rally today?
6: Well, Rob, I think there are a number of uh, issues out there that's helping today's market. We've had five straight days of decline in the markets uh, through yesterday. So I think we're seeing a a little bounce off of those declines. Uh, You also have, you know, some other uh, issues out there that investors are focusing on. Uh, You've got the CPI inflation index next Tuesday. Uh, Tomorrow, you've got the PPI, which is the Fed's favorite measure of inflation. And then the Fed meets next Wednesday. And those are really the the key economic issues sitting out there uh, in the near term.
3: And then uh, we had the uh, continuing claims and first-time claims for unemployment showing a little bit of uh, weakening in the job market. It's still uh, great by historical standards, but if you're looking for any sign the Fed may pivot uh, based on some sort of data point, uh, that's a little encouraging.
6: Well, yes, yeah, certainly. I think it's, it's great for the economy. Uh, it's great for employment. Uh, so employment's staying strong, and wage increases are continuing. Uh, but wages can increase uh, and not impact inflation too much. Uh, I think that's what the the Fed is hoping here that we can have a strong labor market. Uh, without having it contribute to inflation
3: it is very interesting especially uh, the way this debate over inflation has unfolded over the past year that uh, that working people may have to take one for the team if they want to bring inflation down because workers have benefited greatly from wage gains so far this year and and ethically speaking it's kind of a strange ask well you have to lose your job just for the overall good of the economy
6: well, you know, you, you see, um, you know, firings happening uh, throughout uh, industry every once in a while. It's interesting that we're uh, the layoffs we're seeing lately are more in tech land. Uh, and tech often, you know, will every once in a while try to reset itself. Uh, they'll decide they overhired uh, and they want to scale back some. And certainly the, those stocks have taken it in the chin, tech stocks. Uh, And so that's a a good thing for tech shareholders to see, you know, some cost discipline. And tech's leading the market today uh, higher. uh, And that has really been the case pretty much throughout this year. On days uh, when the market is up, uh, tech growth uh, lead the market higher. The problem is the markets are down year to date. So uh, these sectors have had a really tough time. Uh, except for those updates.
3: On the other hand, is it possible that the labor market is so tight that instead of actually laying people off, that companies just simply stop hiring? They don't reduce headcount? They just don't add to it?
6: Well, I, I think you always want to try to find good workers. Uh, so I think companies are still out there looking for the best workers. But every once in a while. They certainly, uh, you know, make some mistakes and, you know, maybe those workers aren't contributing enough uh, and they need to have a reset and uh, lay some people off uh, and focus more on on hiring where their needs really are.
3: Tim Grisky, Senior Portfolio Strategist with Ingalls & Snyder, based in New York. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next in Technology Thursday, the latest improvements in virtual reality technology provide an even more intense
0: multi-sensory experience. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
3: It's Technology Thursday, and this afternoon the focus is on the rapid evolution of virtual reality technology. We're joined by Shelley Palmer, CEO of the Palmer Group and founder of the Metacademy. You can find him on Twitter at Shelly Palmer. Shelly, thanks for joining us today. I think anybody who has uh, spent more than uh, just a couple of seconds inside a virtual reality helmet can tell you it truly is a remarkable experience. Uh, A friend of mine got an Oculus uh, during the uh, COVID-19 shutdowns two years ago, and uh, we used it to play games and walk around in these uh, immersive, interactive environments. And outside of the, uh, the sense of dizziness, or the danger of walking into a wall, it's, it, it really is like a mind-altering experience, and this could potentially be as big of a deal as the introduction of the smartphone.
2: I think there's a lot of different opinions about what the future of VR is going to be. Up to now, the technology has required, and still does, a fairly significant headset. Uh, fun fact, about 30% of the people who put these headsets on either get a headache or become nauseated 15 minutes into the experience. So that takes about 30% of the people out of it. But for those who do not uh, become nauseated or get a headache, it is mind-blowing. And I had the pleasure and honor of going up to Facebook or Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook, a few weeks ago when they were um, announcing the Quest Pro, the Meta Quest Pro, the new level of, of uh, headgear, and some of the new software around it. wow, wow. Um, wow. There's just no other way to describe it. It's slightly bigger than the old one, but felt lighter because they put the batteries in the back so you can kind of wear it much more comfortably. The controllers were significantly better. Uh, the accuracy and the beautiful thing about the new one, uh, the Quest, the uh, MetaQuest Pro, is that it is um, really good at both AR and VR, meaning that you can see the real world and the virtual world projected upon one another so you can have an augmented reality experience. A mixed uh, mixed reality experience or a purely virtual reality experience with these headsets. So I was blown away by how far it has come, the, the quality of the screen and the resolution, and it was just amazing. That's the short answer. So yeah, is it going to be as powerful as a smartphone? I think the consumers will tell us by voting with their wallets. But from uh, you know it, the things it does, the parlor trick that it is for gaming, for training, it's just amazing. And now the other side of the coin, though, just to be as fair and balanced as we can, um, gamers haven't really gotten into it because they love high refresh rate, very high resolution, uh, big screens, and mechanical keyboards. They have not really embraced uh, gaming on virtual uh, with virtual headsets. Doesn't mean they won't, just means they haven't so far. And um, you have businesses training on things like uh, Microsoft HoloLens, and we have businesses training uh, using... Uh, you know uh, the the original Quest and of course the Quest Two and now the Medi- uh, Quest Pro. So we we see that out there. Um, Magic Leap is still actually in business. It, this is a, a nascent kind of area of technology, but it's a super exciting one. So if you get a chance to check out the headsets, um, you know, make up your own mind. It's it's. Pretty, it's pretty impressive. I got to say.
3: This year, we've talked about augmented reality, virtual reality, the metaverse, uh, the fact that a lot of uh, kids and younger people are fully uh, invested in Minecraft and yes. uh, it, its own uh, virtual world, and you have yes. a hard time seeing how all of the pieces come together. And I mentioned the smartphone because you don't have the social media revolution without the ability to put Facebook and Twitter in your pocket, and Correct. when it all comes together. Will we see it come together or just go, oh, well, this is, we, we knew it was going this way the entire time?
2: Well, first of all, that's what always happens because hindsight is twenty twenty. But in practice, uh, we cannot confuse virtual worlds and virtual reality. You don't need virtual reality to experience a virtual world. Roblox is a virtual world. Fortnite is a virtual world. There are plenty of virtual worlds out there virtual reality, you are being sensory deprived and, and you are being you're tricked into thinking you are in an environment that feels real to you. And if you add a haptic vest or haptic gloves or other types of haptic feedback where you can kind of get a sense of touch uh, and, uh, and, and feel things that, you know, when you get shot in a multiplayer game, you kind of feel the, the projectile hit you and that kind of stuff, like, this is a wonderful experience, but it, it doesn't necessarily need to come together with virtual worlds. By default, you're in a virtual world in virtual reality, but you don't need those things to be together. So uh, look, time will tell. I think what most people need to do is evaluate these technologies uh, for, their, for their business cases. Where, where are they likely to be able to create profitable, sustainable businesses? And where are they going to be parlor tricks? And I think you have to keep your own counsel on that right now. Everyone that I talk to, um, has a different level of enthusiasm. I, as you can tell, I'm a little overly
3: enthusiastic, but that's,
2: you know, I also want to be fair.
3: It's like, it's not for everybody. Shelley Palmer, thanks for joining us.
0: Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
3: Vanguard says the number of what are considered to be hardship withdrawals from 401k accounts is at a record high. Let's discuss the financial implications of such a move with Mark Horner, wealth advisor, Fairhaven Wealth Management in Wheaton, the website fairhavenwealth.com. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Before we talk about the uh, the 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 pitfall of such a maneuver why are people tapping their retirement counts early
7: yeah rob so that we could be seeing the effects of inflation and maybe a, and maybe a slowing economy that that, that could indicate that people are are uh, burning through savings that may be uh, accumulated over the over the pandemic and so they're they're being forced to look at other other sources to pay some to pay some bills so that 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 could be what this is indicating
3: about half a percent of workers participating in a 401k plan took a hardship distribution in October and uh, this is according to Vanguard the track five million savers it's a small number but it's also the highest number in almost 20 years.
7: Yeah, so so exactly. So they've got a they've got a good look at a broad base of the economy, and that and that number and that number is going up. You know, and, and unfortunately, life life happens, and uh, and sometimes and sometimes we've got to make some hard financial decisions. But but boy, the price to be paid by first going into the 401k plan to uh, to, to to deal with some financial challenges is enormous. So you got the taxes. Uh, immediately that you, that that you're likely going to have to pay uh, when you take money out of the 401k, but that's just the tip of the iceberg because you're using what you're doing is you're using long-term money that's earmarked for retirement to satisfy a short-term problem, and so the 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 few thousands that you might take out of a 401k could cost you tens or hundreds of thousands. Down the down the road in retirement, so that should really be the last place that you look.
3: So, if you do find yourself in a pinch, uh, what is the best move? Is it uh, do you run a credit card balance? Do you try to get a home equity line of credit or a home equity loan? What's uh, what's the best course of action?
7: Yeah, so I think those are great. Those are great options. My favorite option to start with, though, is to try and use other people's money before you use your own. So, how you might how you might do that is whatever whatever debt or obligation that you're faced with, maybe your first swing is to go back to, that, to, to the person that you've got the debt with, see if you can negotiate it down, or maybe even arrange a payment plan with that lender over time before you, so then you're using their money, not, not yours. If that doesn't work, then yeah, the home equity, home equity lines of credit can be a tax efficient way to, to, to borrow to borrow money. And, uh, and maybe even uh, you know a, a, a six month, or maybe a year-long introductory zero percent APR, uh, or interest rate rather, on the on the credit card. That could be another way to another way to go. But I'd start first with trying to use other people's money before you go to your own. And then the 401k should be at the end of the list. Uh, of options to be considered.
3: Mark Horner, Wealth Advisor with Fairhaven Wealth Management in Wheaton. Thanks for joining us today. You can find him at fairhavenwealth.com. And you'll find past programs and later today, a podcast of this hour at wbbmnewsradio.com and the Odyssey app.
0: Listen to every MLB game live. And the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high.
3: Stream minor league
0: affiliates. The Midwest League all-